What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast that is presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts that you hear every single week. My name is Mitch, and I have my buddy, as always. I'm Boozy. And Kyle is out for this week, but filling in, we have a very special guest, a return guest, someone that we had on, I think it must have been about two years ago now. Uh, Has but it been two years already? It was 2018. So, yeah, this is long overdue. Uh, he's become a very good friend of ours. He's someone that we, I know Boozy and I both look up to in different ways. Uh, well, pretty much the same way. We both love what he does for a living and what he does behind the camera. And uh, that is Nicholas Humphreys. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Hi, thank you. Hi, hi, teabags. Thanks, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Hell yeah. We of course we needed to because uh, out of all of, I think we're all we're nearing two hundred episodes, and out of all the guests that we've asked about their dick, you had the best answer. Uh, <laughs> so that was when Nick told us that he has a full-on wizard sleeve. So now I feel like you got to know him a little bit better if this is your first time checking in and I uh, didn't get to hear that episode that came out a couple of years any, ago. Uh, any update on that? Like, did you get that fixed or? No, I've got a new term that I really like that I want to share with you guys. Let's hear it. Meat beanie. That's a good one. It's <laughs> meat beanie. <laughs> and that's another one that I've never heard before. Yeah, it's good, right? <laughs> add it, yeah, add it to the collection. Yeah, you're a trendsetter, my man. Uh, cool. Well, yeah, we are going to be talking about a film that I sort of recommended we do because if uh, people can't see this listening, but Nick has a poster of demons in his in his room that he's recording in right now. And uh, so we're going to talk about that in the main feature. But before that, we're going to catch up with Nick and uh, talk about what we've been seeing, what we've been doing, and uh, then we'll get on with the show but uh i guess with all that out of the way let's just get right into it so i want to catch up a little bit nick uh for the people who may have missed that episode that you were on before um can you give us a quick catch up on what your experience with horror is and what about horror makes makes it like the genre that you are most interested in playing around in yeah um so i i i am a, a director um and uh I've directed a number of independent films, of course, starting with short films and moving on to features. And I think when I was on the first time, I had just finished Project Ithaca in Sudbury. Um, so that was in post when we met. Um, and that one um, actually was my first film to get a theatrical release, uh, Lionsgate and Saban, License for Distribution. So I actually got to go to a theater in Los Angeles and just, it wasn't even a film festival. Like I got to buy a ticket, walk in, there was trailers Wait, in front of me. They made you buy a ticket for your own movie? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, was a, it was just at a regular chain, wasn't it? Like yeah. Cineplex or something? Yeah, that's uh, so cool. AMC, yeah. AMC. Yeah, so that was that was pretty dope. Um, but yeah, no, I've just, I've always loved horror. It's always been my passion. And I think it was the first thing to kind of well, I think because I saw I saw a lot of horror movies way too young, right? And Demons was one of them. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street was one of them. And uh, it was always my brother kind of trying to traumatize me and show me these things. Um, and I think a part of me became committed to, like, you know, conquering that fear. So I started to absorb more of it and then just found that I really loved it because it was the only type of cinema that I could get, like, I felt a physical reaction in my body to the things that I've seen on screen. Um, and, uh, and then I just couldn't get enough, but I never thought I'd be able to like 
make them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it always kind of felt like this is a passion that I have, and and you know I'm a I'm a I'm a horror fan, but um, growing up to be a director did not seem like it was something that was available to me because I grew up in a small town, um, you know, with like a single mom, and and we didn't have a lot of money. But uh, yeah, just over time, I just couldn't find anything else I wanted to do. Uh, and I looked, like I went to college, I did all those things and got out of college and just did not find that passion. Um, and someone, you know, put me in a situation where I could direct my first short film. And it was just like the first time I felt, you know, that that fire. Um, like you were you were in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. So I just yeah. kept going down that road. And I, I sort of decided that, you know, the, the odds of me becoming a director were relatively low. The odds of me getting to do a feature film or being paid to direct were relatively low, but I just sort of decided, I think it was in a pretty rough place around 25, where I just decided that it'd be better to spend my life chasing a dream and never getting there than doing something that I didn't care about. Um, and so I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and eventually things started happening. Um, you know, I got to do a slasher movie. I've got to do a horror movie in space. I got to do a dark fantasy set in the Dust Bowl. Um, I did kind of like a really dark series of episodes uh, for a steampunk web series. I got licensed by the Sci-Fi Channel. So it's just been slowly evolving over time with big gaps in between. Right. And that's sort of the, the, the scary thing about uh, being a director is that every time you finish a project, you don't really know where the next one is coming from. Um, and so you have to find methods of kind of weathering that in between um, until COVID. <laughs> and then everything kind of changed. Uh, and, uh, you know, here in Vancouver, we shoot a lot of movies of the week. Um, and it's pretty much the only type of film that hires Canadian directors. There's there's episodes of television and movies of the week. Um, and I could never get my foot in the door with that because most of them are like Hallmark romances, Christmas movies, and then the odd thriller for like the Lifetime channel. Um, and uh, I've been trying to get my foot in the door for a number of years, but then there's nothing on my demo reel that says rom-com. Um, but when COVID happened, everything locked down, and then this queue began of all these productions that still needed to get made. They didn't go away, they just got in line. So when things opened up again and we were able to start making things, um, somebody came my way and offered me, a, they actually offered me two movies at the same time. Um, they said, we have a thriller, but we want you to do this rom-com first. And so I, obviously I said yes. Um, shot the rom-com, actually had a really good time making it. I surprised myself with that one. Um, and then uh, even more fun shooting a thriller, uh, which I think is going to be on A&E. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's it's just been a, it's been a wild ride. That's so exciting, That's exciting. man. It's, it's just awesome to see all the hard work pay off. And it's really inspirational for, you know, anyone listening. And I know Boozy and I ourselves, like, it's just, it's so good to hear uh, that things are working out for you and things are, you know, falling in place and hard work and persistence pays off. So that's that's awesome, man. And yeah, so you've done two movies of the week in the since COVID started. Uh, so you did the the rom com. What was it like on your first day uh, having to direct a rom com for the first time? Because for those who don't know, like Nicholas, you you've done like is it over two hundred short films? 
It's, uh, yeah, I think like I've been behind the camera about 200 times. Okay. And all the short films, features, web series, stuff like that. Yeah. And like almost all of the ones that I've seen from you are definitely horror centric. And like, if anything, you dabble into sci-fi. Uh, you also dabble in fantasy, which is something that I love about your filmmaking, um, particularly the the mermaid uh, short film that you made. Just everything about it just felt like someone who was inspired by not just movies, but the sets and the set pieces. And that's something that's like obviously speaks to me. I'm a, I'm a Tim Burton fan, Guillermo del Toro fan. And uh, you see all of those all of those things and elements in your in your shorts. So you you play around in this for so long and then now you're being told that you got to make two people kiss on screen or like what what, what was it like? You know, I went into it kind of nervous because I felt like it seems easy. So it probably isn't, right? Like I'm probably missing something. Um, because, yeah, like I've been trying to do, like I've, I've essentially have been trying to be Guillermo del Toro with like shoestring budgets, right? And so the yeah. challenges of making those things um, have been like an uphill climb. So going into this where it's like essentially people walk into rooms and they talk to each other, it just seemed like, I don't know, like the calm before a storm. Maybe I wasn't preparing, you know, properly for it. But uh, I don't know. I, I found that I could walk in there and just be really good at something. And I felt like that gave me a lot of job satisfaction, even though it's not necessarily a genre that I'm passionate about. And that said, I did get to bring some of those, you know, uh, designy elements to the table. Like I, you know, really pushed for a certain color palette with my production designer. Um, there was this theme of uh, daffodils in the story. And so we kind of brought that into the set design. So there's these like pops of yellow everywhere. And it's like in the end, it's a really pretty, you know, sweet little movie. Um, so, yeah, like the day one, though, was like kind of nerve wracking. But the further I got into it, um, I just got a lot of really positive feedback from the crew that I was working with, um, who were all just very impressed with the level of preparation that I had walked in the door with. Um, and, you know, after that little boost to my confidence, I just kind of like got to kind of, you know, take control and, and make a fun, cute little movie. And the nice thing about these things is that um, you know, the, the ones that I'm doing are these acquisitions. They're, they're a smaller company um, that makes these movies in advance and then sells them to the Hallmarks and things like that. Um, but the ones that are commissioned to be made in Vancouver um, are essentially the same thing. It's the same shooting schedule, um, but like, I don't know, three times the budget. Uh, yeah. So now that I've got one of these suckers under my belt, as soon as it's made and it's out there, my agent can start submitting me for the bigger ones. Like I could do two of these a year and then sit on my ass for the remainder of the year and just work on passion projects, which like is never a place that I thought I'd be in. Right. It's like, yeah, I can spend two weeks of my life shooting a genre that like, you know, maybe isn't my number one, but I'll have fun doing it. And it's a lot better than going to work nine to five Monday to Friday, which is what I've been doing for the last, you know, 20 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then you, you spoke on that. You also did a thriller. So that's something that, you know, plays around in horror a little bit. Uh, sometimes the, the two genres go hand in hand. Uh, what was it like though for a change that like the difference in my mind between a thriller and a horror is the pacing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's something that'll really change and, 
set the tone for the film. So what what was it like going into a thriller? Because something that you also mentioned is that like you went in so prepared. And that seems like something that horror directors would do because you're so used to having to create the effects or like how you're going to pull off a certain scene. And uh, that just doesn't happen as often in romantic comedies. I could be entirely wrong, Um, but it just seems like it's it's a little more lax doing those types of things than than horror. So it must be nice coming from that horror background and having that preparation. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Like with the rom-com, I still prepared it as if I needed to test everything in advance and just like, you know, visualize everything. And, you know, I built these elaborate lookbooks for every department so they all knew what my vision for the movie was. But there was a lot of me walking onto set and then just changing everything when I got there because the actors wanted to do something different and I wanted to embrace that. Um, And we could do that because what we were doing was relatively simple. so that was cool. But when we got into the thriller, um, I actually was very lucky. I got I got teamed up with a really talented camera team that were all like just young and hungry and wanting to play, um, which was awesome. And uh, we had a couple of sequences where, you know, it did require that kind of horror movie prep. Like there's a scene where a woman gets smoked with a car and we weren't able to do a full-on stunt of it happening. So I needed to shot list the hell out of it and break it down and then send a proposal through to do like a very specific kind of stunt. And then and then that was turned down because it was too expensive. Then I had to go back to the drawing board and go and do it over again. And I think I had like five different ways I was going to shoot this, this car hit. Um, and in the end... You know, it was a scaled back version, but I thought about it so much that I'm so happy with the finished result. Um, it just, And I, I don't know, like someone who who maybe wasn't that prepared would have to do it off camera. Right. Whereas like you see it or at least you feel like you see it, even though you don't actually see that moment of impact. Um, it's it's visceral when she gets smoked. So, yeah, I don't know. I would I would do these thrillers like in a heartbeat, even if I was getting paid like a really low amount of money just because they are so much fun. Um, And uh, I got to work with a cast member that um, I had done a series with uh, like a decade ago who, you know, we'd been really good friends for a number of years, kind of lost touch. I got to bring her back on to that show. So it just was like, felt like a family reunion. We were doing stuff that was really dark. And even though it wasn't, didn't have that horror movie kind of pacing, Everything was kind of like, you know, we got to play with with you know mystery and suspense and stuff like that, which has not been something I've gotten to play with yet so much because it's always creatures and things like that, which I love. Right. But yeah. it's nice to kind of like, you know, play in that world for a little bit. Did nice. you manage to fit in any homages to anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, I always cram homages into these things. I'm trying to remember, what did I do with this one? A huge inspiration for this one, uh, and, I, and I straight up discussed this with uh, uh, my DPs insofar as like, uh, you know, lighting and, and camera work and stuff like that, uh, was It Follows. Um, we pulled a lot of our, you know, frames from that and said, like, let's create this where it's like single source lighting through windows because a lot of it took place in the day. And it's like, how do you make daytime creepy? So there was a bit of that. I don't know if I fit any shining homages into this one. I'm trying to remember. I usually do. There's usually like one visual reference to The Shining in everything that I've done. And if you actually like go back and watch my filmography, you'll see you'll see like one visual reference. 
That's cool. So that's that's all super exciting. And it's been, you know, a different adventure for you. But uh, what like since the last time we talked to you was before COVID, um, what's the state of film in Canada right now, in your opinion? Like, have you have you had any experience with it changing drastically over the last couple months? Well, 100 percent, like just the fact that I'm now in a place like I've spent the last decade again, like not knowing where the next thing's coming from. Now it's like, you know, I, I crammed out two MOWs at the end of 2020 in like August and uh, November. And then there's like three other potential projects that might go going forward. So I think because, you know, unfortunately, because everything's so shitty in the States right now, a lot of stuff is starting to come up here. Um, And I think there's more opportunities for Canadian, not only Canadian uh, filmmakers like behind the camera, but Canadian talent in front of the camera um, because, you know, Oftentimes, they'll bring up the star and the director from down south, right? And then everybody else working on the team, you know, is Canadian. But, like, those key creatives always come from L.A., whereas, like, we can still do that right now, but it's it's costly, right? Because you have to put them up while they quarantine for two weeks. Um, so I think there's more opportunities in this moment than there have been before, which is kind of exciting. Um, and... You know, I feel bad for my friends and family in the States that are filmmakers and are stuck in their houses. But like Netflix just announced that they're pausing all production in Los Angeles for the foreseeable future. Um, You can only assume that some of that's going to make its way up here. So I think, you know, as awful as COVID's been, and if you care about human suffering at all, it's, you know, there's nothing about it except tragedy. But, you know, there's been these weird advantages to the film scene um, north of the border because we've handled it a little bit better. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fair. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really up for debate on that one. Honestly. No. That's awesome. Well, with all that being out of the way, how do you guys feel about catching up with what we've been seeing? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go with that. Uh, Do you guys mind if I lead off today? Please. Sure. Because I finally got a chance to check out Project Ithaca. Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> I really liked it. I, Courtney and I both watched it on the weekend, and we really, really liked it. Um, yeah, like, man, the, there's it's got a really interesting premise, and you killed it on the direction. And like you said, the whole shining thing, like, you can just see where your influences lie in your camera angles and the way that you shoot people. And it, it was so entertaining from front from the front to the back. And it's really cool because it is all characters in one place. Uh, but then obviously there, there's more subsects to the story that that uh, take you to different um, destinations. But I, I thought the VFX was solid front to back. And I got some major Anaconda vibes. That's what I needed to ask you about is like, I'm a huge Anaconda fan. So like I noticed like the some of the alien creatures they reminded me of the snake from anaconda and the the prosthetics when it's opening its mouth and you know skeeting you know what that 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 creature was my shark from jaws and i didn't even realize that you know that's what it was until my line producer was like stop panicking this is your shark figuring out because you know it kind of the way we had originally visualized it this thing was supposed to kind of like work its way through the air. It was going to be a visual effect where, you know, it would be on sticks and we'd have people in like green screen suits kind of manipulating and then we would key them out in post when it arrived. And everything was so like, you know, the, I think the film had like a $2 million budget 
but everything was so rushed. We're shooting in Sudbury. So a lot of elements didn't all come together until we were there and having to shoot. Even the set itself was still getting finished the night before we started filming, right? And it was like, are we going to have a set? Uh, it was kind of crazy. So, but that, so this, this serpent shows up, which is like the 16 foot puppet. And it is so heavy that we can't even, like, people can't even lift it, right? It's like it takes two hands, it takes a group of people to get up. And so <laughs> it was a bit of a nightmare. But what we ended up doing was I had met um, some really awesome folks um, at the very beginning of the shoot because when everybody came to Sudbury, um, you know, their, their, their partners brought them up and we all had this big party in one of the houses and then everybody went back. Um, but I met this dude, Alex, who was also a director uh, and was dating uh, my production manager. And we clicked because we were at this party and he had said something about some obscure horror movie. And I was like, this is my guy. Yeah. And we got along and then he went home and I was like, fuck, that guy was, he was awesome. Um, so when it felt like things were going to shit and I needed, I knew I needed to get like tons of extra footage of people just dragging this thing through the space, right? Going in through openings and out and stuff like that. So we had stuff to cut to. I didn't have time to do it because I had to shoot all of the actors in the time that we had. Um, so I got approval to have him come up with his team as a second unit director. And they spent like two weeks after we moved out of the spaceship and onto some of the other sets, they came in and just shot like a shitload of stuff of this, not only the 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 you know serpent creature moving through the space, but also um, you know lights kind of shooting up through the the LED things yeah. that we had built, um, just to help us kind of stitch it together. And uh, Alex fucking saved that movie for me because he did such a beautiful job covering all that stuff. He gave us stuff to cut with, uh, essentially. Um, but it looked uh, really it looked really really good. <laughs> like yeah. all of the practicals looked awesome. We had a really great makeup team uh, on that movie um, who, you know, not only showed up, but were also showed up with great stuff. But when stuff didn't work, um, we're able to kind of adapt and change things while we were in production um, so that we were able to shoot it. Because, you know, it's like you have to shoot these things from a certain way in order for it to look real. And luckily the lighting in that space allowed us to shoot a lot of stuff and had it kind of, if it was like daylight, none of it would have worked. Right. Yeah. But because of the led lighting that we used, and we only used led lights on that set, um, to light the whole thing. Um, yeah, it just, it all kind of, it kind of worked. I, and, man, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was wicked. And actually, even today, my uh, one of my our buddies, Mitch Clark, was messaging me and he was looking for a new creature feature to watch. And I know he loves sci-fi. And I told him, I was like, man, check out Project Ethica. Like, it, it was good. I really enjoyed it. And uh, what the hell was I going to say about? Oh, yeah. Like, are you an, are you an alien fan? I feel like I, you had to be. Yeah. OK, so like I don't want to give away how the sausage gets made, but there's a lot of like I've watched so many alien making of documentaries. I'm currently reading the book and I find all the effects so interesting in that movie, like how Ridley Scott would wrap the, the face hugger around uh, Sigourney Weaver's neck and then like they just play it in reverse. So yeah. that it looked like it was attacking her. Is that kind of what you guys did with this? Because like it's shooting like bags at people's heads and it's yeah. wrapping around people. Is that what you did? 100%. That, yeah, and no, that's. Around think, their head, yank it off and then reverse it in post. 
God, it looks, it's crazy how it looks so good till this day. Like he's been doing that since like, you know, the seventies when Alien came out and it's still, that trick just works. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. We'll, we'll, get a, we'll get a good Alien sequel one of these days. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, that's Project Ithaca and that's Nicholas's film that I wanted to give a shout out because Courtney and I really liked it. I know you were kind of tempering. I think I think you're just a modest filmmaker where you're like, you don't want to ever hype something up that you did. Or maybe it isn't something that you love. Uh, but I can tell you from fresh eyes, it was it was a lot of fun. Well, you know, what my problem is, is that, uh, you know, I and, and I realized this after listening to I think it was Ira Glass on uh, This American Life was talking about this, how as creative people, you know, we come to these art forms because we love it, right? And we know what's good because we absorb the best of it, right? And so we see the things that we love and our budgets, our experience level, like all these things that kind of stop us from making those things um, that are out of our control, you know, only allow us to make things that we think aren't that good because we're comparing ourselves to the best. And the only way to kind of survive that is to kind of push through the pain of making things that you know you don't love and eventually i think you get closer to making the things that you love but it takes time it takes producing a high volume of work um and so yeah i'm always i'm always really critical of anything that i've made i can't watch anything i've done after it's done because i'm just like this does not hit the quality benchmark that i hold for other filmmakers you know what i mean so it's rough also i have like I read every comment and you're not, I know you're not supposed to do that, but it's like, it's a, it's a balance. Like I think when you're a content creator, no matter what it is, you know, that you're going to find, if you're putting stuff out in the world, you're going to find people that hate your stuff and you're going to find people that, you know, agree with your insecurities and point them out. Right. And it's hard to shake that because you're just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just this rough balance because you also have to listen to it, right? You have to like observe, be like, yeah, you know what? I could have done that better. That's something I'm going to work on the next time. Um, but, you know, it's just having someone kind of get in there and, and sort of, you know, at the same time, I don't think there's anything anyone can ever say to me that I haven't already said to myself. So that's yeah. freeing in a way. Well, that's shitty. You got to be nice to yourself, man. Because I read Are some you of those just IMDb going through, reviews. Like, or what? <laughs> no, I just, uh, I, you know, Google alerts, comments on YouTube, and stuff like that. I mean, I've had, I've had, you know, for every hundred good comments, you read a bad one, and that's the one you remember. So it's just, yeah. like, yeah, it's tricky. But I think the trick is just not letting it stop you from pushing forward because everybody starts somewhere, you know, everyone's made a shitty movie in their career that they don't love. And then eventually you start making things that people love. And, you know, I feel like I'm getting closer to that, especially with this thriller that I just made. Like I, you know, the director's cut of that movie. I'm like, this is solid. I'm happy with this. Hell yeah. Um, I can't wait to see it. Well, man, project Ethica is not a bad movie. You should be proud of what you did on that. And it's a, it's going to be a cool stepping stone in your career that, you know that was a big that was a big event for you, and I, honestly, man, it it was good. Like it was good. You should be proud. I appreciate and don't it. listen to the fucking neckbeards on the internet who are just <laughs> idiots. And well, like they're just people out there who just want to bitch every day. That's it's been proven to all of us. So, uh, and movies are such an easy target. Yeah, because everyone has access to them. So they're they'll find a way. Like I can pretty much guarantee that some of the people who wrote bad comments didn't even see the movie. 
Right. Uh, so just, yeah, give yourself a break there. But uh, yeah, that was Project Ithaca. Let's move on. Uh, Boozy or Nick, who wants to go next? Nick, tell us all about what you've been seeing. Oh, it's, whatever. It's been so, so long. Like, give us some greatest hits here. Well, I got to say, one of the best things I've seen recently, Boozy, was a recommendation from you, which oh. was The Dark and the Wicked. Oh, okay. Which... I was going to say, is it Mom? <laughs> no, you did not see Mom. But you, you like, I think you had just seen it. You messaged me on Instagram. You're like, you have to watch this. Um, and I'm a big fan of The Stranger, so I was like, 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's watch it. And uh, I think it was the first thing in a long time that I'd watched where I didn't pick up my phone halfway in. Um, it's just you're, isn't, oh, isn't. you're in the bad area of town are, again. <laughs> are, are those Vancouver sirens or Saskatoon sirens? It's not me. Oh, no, dude, it's, it's... <laughs> that's a Vancouver siren. I'm in the West End. Uh, there's a lot of them lately. Actually, the other night, uh, somebody so there was like a, a row of emergency vehicles that pulled up outside. And uh, they they came to my neighbor's house across the hallway and like a fucking psychopath. I'd like hung out at my little peeper window thing in there and like watched everything go down. It was, yeah, lots of drama. Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of drama, Dark and the Wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dark and the Wicked, I think just, you know, it's, well, I'll say there's a couple of movies that came out this year that hit that thing for me where I was just like, Fuck, I love this. I, I hate it because I wish I made it first. You know what I mean? Like, because it's just, it's everything I love in a horror movie. Um, and so, yeah, Dark and the Wicked was one of them. Uh, the Lodge was the other one. Or mm-hmm. just like, you know, yeah. Just, just. Do you, do you feel like you come across that a lot where you find something where you're like, fuck, I, I wanted to make that, like yeah. my version of that? Yeah. Well, The Lodge specifically because, so when I shot Project Ithaca, I got paid uh, and I had recently paid off my student loan. So I had like a chunk of cash and I was like, I need to do something smart with this. So I ended up buying a cabin in the woods because real estate in Vancouver is bullshit. Like I'm never going to own something here, but I just, I wanted to get in that game. And I, I like that you and doomsday preppers have the same mentality. <laughs> well, Nick is a doomsday prepper. <laughs> it turns out I am because when COVID happened, I fucking panicked. So like, when my work shut down, my partner's work shut down, we loaded up like it was it was it had the same energy as the opening to the uh, the TV miniseries of The Stand. You know, when that guy's like grabbing his wife, and he's like, we got to go like that was us. <laughs> we were going up to the cabin and I had been collecting canned goods. I didn't I never did the like mass toilet paper shop, but I had collected toilet paper slowly over time. Because you could, I just, I felt it in the air, shit was going down. Um, so we brought it And you wanted to hold it down. Yeah, and then we got to the house, and I realized that, like, subconsciously, I had already prepared for this. There was canned goods, there was toilet paper, there was paper towel. Like, we had everything probably to survive a year already up there, and that was the moment I realized, I was like, fuck, I'm a doomsday prepper. And I didn't even know it. Um but yeah, so it's like ever since I bought this place and it's very remote, you know, it's like, you know, in the wintertime, it takes seven hours to get there from Vancouver. Um, and it's in a it's in like a little like uh, it's by a lake. So there's a there's a summertime community that exists up there. But in the winter, it is dead. Um, and I wanted to sit there and write a movie that had to be shot there. Um right. 
during quarantine, but I just got high and baked the whole time. I didn't, I didn't do anything creative. You are um, our dog. Yeah. <laughs> but then the launch Amen. came out, and I was like, fuck, I should, that's the movie I should have made. Um, but, you know, I just, I love it, right? That was, that was a good one. Dark and the Wicked was a good one. Uh, host. Um, and I'm, I love found footage. Like, I'm not one of those guys who's, like, you know, down on found footage. Like, the Blair Witch Project is one of my favorite movies of all time, right? Like, good found footage gets under my skin, and I love it. Um, and I feel like the speed at which they pumped out what I think is a masterpiece with Host, I think, is, like, that was just really exciting to sit down and watch. Because that movie scared the shit out of me, and it takes a lot, like, it takes a lot to scare me at this point. Yeah. Not an ounce of fat on that thing. No. It just no. gets right down to business. I watched it twice the week it came out. It was so good. And to time it out with the length of like a, a Zoom, Zoom call. Yeah. You don't have the professional Zoom account. And at times I was at like 45 minutes or whatever that. I had been living that world because I, I teach, like I teach for Vancouver Film School. And uh, we were having to do like 45 minutes of a class, take a break, do another 45 minutes of a class, take a break. So it just like, I don't know, it was like, it was something that we were all sharing at the same, the entire world was sharing that experience at the same time. So to like come up with that movie when it did was just, I don't know, really great timing. And then I would say like the thing that, I think the movie that I think is like the movie of the last year though, uh, is His House. Oh yeah, so good. Taking something like what's essentially a haunted house movie and not relying on any of the shit that we've already seen. You know what I mean? Like some of the scares and some of the visuals are so creative and it was just, you know, it, it did what a lot of horror movies sometimes miss, which is that like that human drama, the, the emotion, you know, like I felt gutted emotionally as much as I was scared after that movie. And oh I just, yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah, been that- 2020 is a really good year for horror personally. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Boozy does as well. We, yeah, we had a ton of fun making our top tens, but it was actually hard for a year where movies mm-hmm. were shut down. <laughs> it was yeah. like we got some incredible movies, but yeah, His House and Dark and the Wicked were the two movies this year to actually scare me. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that's very cool. Awesome. Well, Boozy, do you want to knock one off? I only have one for this week, and it's really interesting, and it's another one directly from Tubi. This, I think it's just going to turn into my weekly Tubi review. Yeah. Uh, so this is 1985's The Strangeness. Uh, the best way I can describe... It's a creature feature, and it's a mining creature feature. The best way I can describe it is the last 15 minutes of the thing, but an entire movie. Whoa. No, that's. Uh... I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of overselling it, but but basically, <laughs> there's a shitload of claymation and practical effects, and uh, it's a very boring story. But every half an hour, something cool happens, and I, I don't know if you if you're really into kind of those earlier creature features, you'll probably get some enjoyment out of this. I can't see anybody who's really focused more on newer films to get really any appreciation out of it because you have to wait so long for anything cool to happen. Yeah. So it looks like it's set in like a mining community, hey? Yeah, it's it's basically a bunch of trapped miners have to have to go through this this cave system. Are we dealing with a creature? Or are we dealing with an alien? We're dealing with a creature. Sweet. 
sweet and cool. it's very cool I, I don't know you can check some of the stills for it even to like sell you on it but i i think it's a very interesting film and i'd never heard of but but definitely the the acting is uh top notch for 1985s there's mustaches everywhere and <laughs> it's <laughs> it's great it, it's it's uh you know what it was it was worth it for me i will i would recommend it cool i don't think right. i can find a like a creature feature that i didn't find something to love in though right and it's like and sometimes the rougher it is around the edge and we'll probably get into this when we start talking about demons but sometimes the rougher it is it's like the more unsettling it ends up being you know right. it's totally. like, i'm i'm into it i'm gonna check that out for sure yeah, well, everything, that's a good thing for anyone listening. Anything that Boozy talks about, there's a 99% chance that's on Tubi. Uh, <laughs> so every, on everyone YouTube. can see Yeah, everyone can see it for free. Um, I actually, yeah, I only have two for this week, two other ones I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to go with the long one first, because I'm sorry, you guys, but I got a bone to pick with a movie this week. <laughs> Holy Uh-oh. shit. Um, yeah, I checked out The Vanished on uh netflix it's a brand new tom jane and haish film uh yeah this one's directed by the dad from twilight i'm gonna take a I'm gonna make <laughs> that's sure his actual this. name <laughs> yeah uh what the <laughs> hell is his name the dad <laughs> legally had it changed that okay did thomas jane makes really good movies and then thomas jane just randomly shows up in things like this i'm assuming I don't know, I think he just, uh, he's a guy who, like, he seems like he'd be a dream to work with. Like, he'd be someone who's just down for anything, because especially when you see a movie like this, you're like, I, either you didn't read the script or or you were just yeah. down for whatever they want to do. Uh, Peter Fessinelli is his name. Uh, yeah, he plays Dr. Carlisle something on uh, Dr. Carlisle Cullen. Oh, yeah, so he's Edward's dad. Okay. So caught up. Uh, anyways, this one, it's it's one of those movies that it's based around a couple whose child goes missing and the paranoia and stress that comes after that. Um, but as a fairly big Tom Jane fan, I can admit that he is pretty hit or miss. Uh, this one is a definite miss. <laughs> like this is we've all seen Tom Jane shit the bed before. But fuck this, he shit the bed in this movie hard. But I think he just really doesn't care. It's just, he's he's really bad in it, because I think he thinks that because he is Tom Jane, he doesn't need to do anything else. And that you kind of get that vibe from everyone. It just feels like everyone was sleeping through this through this movie, and it just seemed like it was just a pain in the ass to... I, I assume it would have been a pain in the ass to shoot. Like, you'll in this movie, you'll never see a guy give up on his daughter quicker than Tom Jane. <laughs> so it's one of those movies. Man, what like, else he's gone? I don't know. We, we had fun watching it because I was like, man, these are all just like super amateur mistakes. That, and I know I'm like, as a guy who's never made a movie, I shouldn't be saying this, but like, there's so many things that it's just like, you would think this is obvious. Don't do this. Don't like, for example, I sent you a snap boozy of, uh, how Tom Jane looked when he realized his daughter was missing. They put on this really like, uh, what's the word? Like distracting fisherman's hat. And it has like a bunch of tackle on it and it's super goofy and it's like impossible to take him seriously. 
but the kid's missing. So he's like looking around all solemn and like, it so was are, just, are his tackle jingling when he's looking around? Pretty much, pretty much. Oh. And I, like, it, all I could think about was, um, that hat that Jim Carrey wears in Dumb and Dumber, like that big fucking, like put that hat on, uh, Hugh Jackman in Prisoners and he got the vanish. Like this thing, it's it's definitely like it's trying to be that whole prisoners horror thriller type vibe to it, but uh it's just the acting is so bad and it just it gets so it gets so hard to watch, but I needed to finish it because I wanted to know I'm like, there's gotta be a payoff. And they I think I told you, Boozy, they start roping in like Little things about yeah, set oh, yes, little yeah. things about set design. There's there's like a copy of Twilight. Oh, I guess it was done by the dad. That makes sense. I didn't put that together. But there's different copies of Twilight in like almost every shot of this movie. Like a book. <laughs> is that and like then, a love letter to his paycheck? Like, is how would you be that involved in a fucking story? No idea. But then on top of that, they have like there's they go into this room and there's this uh, all these bootleg movies and it was like a couple copies of Volcano like from the nineties. Uh, so that was in there. And then uh, the one that was most distracting was a World Trade Center DVD that had like a big $1 discount, discount bargain bin sticker on it. I'm like, just t- why, why does World Trade Center need to be here? That's so distracting. Well, I'm going to spoil it for you guys right now. I'm not, bar- it's barely a spoiler. If anything, it's going to make you want to watch it more. There is a twist to 9-11 in this movie. Like, I just, that seems like such an amp, like the movie takes place in 2020, but they're like explaining how the daughter went missing because of something that happened in 9-11. And I'm like, it's just bad decision after bad decision. And it was just a train wreck. Um, Apparently Netflix is putting out a movie a week for the next year. And I hope this isn't the quality that they're setting because this thing was rough. And like Anne Heche, Anne Heche isn't good. Like she kind of sucks. Like I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen her. I I always just think about her in Psycho and uh, and this now. Uh, but yeah, surprising that like performance. You would think that a movie directed by an actor, the performances would be the thing that were good. Everything else could fall apart, but at least the performances would be there. Yeah, you're saying but, they're bad. Yeah, and th- I think that's the problem. I was like, what I was t- I was mentioning. I was talking about this in the group chat with Boozy and Kyle. I was like. It's like they felt that because they're reputable actors, that was enough right. and that they could just kind of sleep through the role. Like it just there was no emotion behind it. There was nothing, nothing about it worked, in my opinion. I'm starting uh, to think that, like, we need Thomas Jane to just like we only deploy him when Stephen, Stephen King novels King. need yep. to be adapted. Yeah, he can just be whatever in that. I love him in like pretty much all Stephen King adaptations, including Dreamcatcher. Like he's, I really like Tom Jane. I've always enjoyed Tom Jane. Um, but yeah, I guess the only positive I will say about this movie, and this is very Mitch Oliver of me to know the the insider baseball of this, but Tom Jane and Anne Heche began dating after this. That was Maybe crazy. They were so tired from staying up all night <laughs> courting each other that yeah. they didn't feel like acting during the day. Yeah. I just felt that that was nice. Uh, it's kind of like Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively and Green Lantern. Like those, you know, they met in a terrible movie. Crazy kids. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that was The Vanished on Netflix. Can't recommend it, but uh, it's definitely w- worth putting on if you want to kind of see what I'm talking about. I don't know. I just thought it was rough. Uh, Nicholas, last... any, love let- or any love stories from set that you can tell us about? No, I, and I would say as a, uh, I hey, mean, wait, weren't the stars married? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, on the rom-com. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that we're facing these days is uh, because of COVID. And that was actually fucking awesome was that uh, we were able to cast a married couple so that they could be within, uh, you know, a meter of each other because every other actor can't, right? Like there are there are protocols in place, you know, and it's like I feel safer on a film set these days than I do going to the grocery store because everybody has to check in at the COVID tent. They get their temperature checked um, and nobody wants to be shut down, right? So like everybody on a film set is being safe. But, um, you know, you can't have a cast of people all breathing potentially COVID into each other's faces. So we've had to come up with creative ways to block them to make it seem like they're closer together than they actually are. Um, you know, walk and talks are becoming a bigger thing where they're just, they're not looking at each other. They're just walking and talking. Um, you can also, you know, position them. Um, nobody can see the visual of this, but if you kind of have one person, you know, looking one way and then have the other person looking perpendicular to that person, then at least they're breathing away from each other. Um, mm -hmm. but it's tricky, right? It's tricky to do that for 90 minutes of content. So having a couple that is in the same bubble, um, makes things a lot easier. I thought you were asking if I've ever had any romantic uh, situations on set. And uh, I would say my my advice to any uh, emerging filmmaker is never date an actor. That'd be number one. Um, it's just don't do it um, for a number of reasons. But and I love actors, don't get me wrong, but I just think it's a bad idea for a director to date an actor. Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want to be Darren Aronofsky impregnating everyone. Well, then you got to put them in everything, you know, yeah. you're not right for it. It's just, yeah. there's a lot. Of it's like Rob Zombie dragging around his wife all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Case in point. Let's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, see, uh, that's something I, I don't get a lot of pleasure in poo-pooing on movies. So like, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to do that back to back, but I'm going to have to. Um, the last oh, one I shit. checked out was, uh, the sequel to Train to Busan, Peninsula. Oh, I saw that too. You saw it? We can talk about that. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, well, it lacked... Here's everything. the thing. It lacked everything that trade to Bus that made Trade to Busan incredible. Yep, um, I agree. I still enjoyed watching it. I had a lot of fun with it, but I preferred the animated prequel to the sequel. Soul Station? I still haven't watched that one. I need to check that out. But it, yeah, like... It is. Yeah. Like I, I did not, I didn't hate Peninsula by any means, but it just, it was without a doubt a disappointment. Um, but I think I need to watch it again because I was like impossibly stoned when I watched it as well. <laughs> but like, it's so fast paced and like, it's just CGI to the, through the roof in that movie. Um, but with that being said, that offers some insane sequences. Like there are some, there are some scenes in that movie that was like, holy shit, that was awesome. And there's some genuinely funny parts but when you're putting it under the train to Busan umbrella, it just, it's almost impossible to live up to that. And it's so different from train to Busan, uh, in my opinion. So uh, I just thought it was a disappointment. Train to Busan, you know, had incredible visuals, but like arguably nothing we didn't see in like World War Z. But mm -hmm. the thing that it had was fucking heart, right? Yeah. Like cared about those characters. And Whereas Peninsula, I think, kind of fell into the same trap that, like, and I, I'll be honest, I'm not a fan of, like, 
superhero movies i've tried i'm slowly making my way through the marvel cinematic universe because i feel like i'm missing a piece of pop culture but it's a slog and the reason for that for me personally is just that like when you open up a movie with an insane vfx sequence where do you go from there right Right. there's no rising action you know it's just you kind of by the end of it you're desensitized to it um and then also the characters i just i they tried, you know, like that opening yeah. sequence in, in Peninsula where, you know, we see that guy lose his family. Like that was. Yeah, it was off to a promising start. It's off to a promising start. But then by the end of it, you're just like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's just it's impossible to care when everything feels so artificial. Yeah. And uh, so that's why I would say Peninsula and World War Z are honestly pretty close to the same uh, same quality. I, I actually like World War Z a little. Like I really like that movie actually, uh, <laughs> but it's bonkers. Like it just it does look animated, but at least you have Brad Pitt to care about. Yeah. Um, but but and in he's this wispy one, hair the whole time. Yeah, handsome Brad Pitt. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> Peninsula was just it was a bit of a letdown for me. But like I said before, I was hella stoned, so I might need to give it another look. Uh, I did buy it though. I bought that. I went. I went to pick up Possessor on Blu-ray one day, and uh, Peninsula was right beside it. So I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is gonna be a great night." I loved one of those movies. <laughs> uh, but cool. Yeah, that's everything that I got for the week. So I think we can get on to our main feature if you guys are cool with that. Do it. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about Lombardo Bava's Demons. I always want to say Dario Argento presents demons, but that just doesn't make as much sense. I don't know. We'll talk about it. See you on the other side. The preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming, and they're coming for you. Warning, if you have the courage to see demons, sit near an exit. Otherwise, you might never get out. In your theater, who will survive the touch of the demons, and who will not? Demons. With music by Billy Idol, Motley Crue, The Adventures, Rick Springfield, and Saxon. This is no dream. This is happening right now. And it could be happening to you. Demons. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals. And the cities will be your tomb. Will you survive it? Demons. And welcome to our main feature in which we're going to be discussing Lamberto Bava. Lamberto, I got to make sure I say that right. Lamberto Bava's Demons, also known as Demoni. I believe I'm saying that right as well. Uh, this one was presented by Dario Argento. I believe he was just, he was the producer on this one. Uh, yeah. Right. So. Awesome. So yeah, we're talking about demons today. This is a film that we, well, I've wanted to talk about on the show for a while, and uh, I was kind of waiting to do like an Italian horror series or something like that. But uh, it seemed like just the perfect time uh, to dip our toes in Italian horror with Nick, uh, since I know you have a you have a story with this film. So we'll get to that right away. But the synopsis is 
A group of random people are invited to a screening of a mysterious movie, only to find themselves trapped in the theater with ravenous demons. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, going to be fun. Well, Nick, why did you choose this movie? Uh, so I have I have a relationship with this movie. Um, Congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> How long is it? Been? <laughs> uh, no, this this movie was introduced. So th- to this day, I think I have never had a more traumatic experience with a horror movie than I did with demons because um so i grew up in a small town in bc called chilliwack uh and i was a teenager in the 90s and there really was nothing to do but like have sex and do drugs and so i uh came home one day i went to a party a bunch of friends convinced me to drop lsd with them and then the party i think ended so i just went home um and uh, i can't remember why my parents were out of town but my brother was there and uh you know, I told him, I was like, dude, I'm I'm kind of peeking right now. And he's like, I got the thing. Uh, and he put on Demons. So I had never <laughs> seen this movie before. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with uh, because there's there's a number of things in this movie. Like it's it, you know, it's it's very uh, it's very gory. The things that trip me out the most, though. Um, you know, there's there's a number of things in here that are weird, but the thing that I think made me panic the most, there's a there's a scene in this movie where everybody's trying to escape the theater and they can't get out through the doors and they start ripping the doors down. And on the other side of the door is just a brick wall. Um, and for some reason, that idea, like aside from, you know, all the craziness, which I'm sure we're going to get into, that was one of the things that, you know, as a. 16 year old who's like kind of claustrophobic and doesn't like crowds of people um it just it triggered all the bad things in me um but uh yeah i i love this movie and then years later i was at comic-con in san diego promoting a web series that i was working on uh for the sci-fi channel and there was a booth that was selling vintage uh movie posters um from like that had been in theaters and they had this demons poster that had been up in a theater in Paris. So it's like a French poster for an Italian movie shot in Berlin, um, dubbed in English, I guess. I mean, I think it was in English, but it just, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. So that's on my wall. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So you can remember, reminisce about the good times. Yeah. While watching this again, I, I honestly, I can think of very few movies that would be worse than this on acid. It was a bad choice on my brother's part. Um, <laughs> but, you know, classic Chris, because that was just was his M.O. when we were in high school, was to fuck with me as much as possible. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the movie was just absolutely panic and dread-inducing for you, I'm assuming, on under the influence. Well, it wasn't a good trip that, you know, like it was a bad, it was a bad place for me to go at 16, you know, <laughs> just been introduced to hallucinogenic drugs. Uh, I, I wouldn't advise it and I, nor would I repeat uh, what I did there. Oh, damn. Well, I was going to say next time, uh, next time we're down there and we go to your cabin, we could drop some acid and watch demons. Yeah, how else do you want to celebrate your birthday, honestly? Exactly. <laughs> I am turning 40 in quarantine. I'll be I'll be turning 40 next month and I will be alone in my apartment. So, um I don't know if I want to watch Demons. I don't know if I I don't know. I think I'm too old for acid, but there's definitely a party 
a makeup party at the cabin in the future. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, like Boozy, what was this your first time seeing demons? I know you you told me you own a copy. Yeah, my my friend uh like years ago was like just gave me a stack of movies because they were moving out of the country for a year. And that was part of it. So I've had it forever, but I actually hadn't watched it until we did the episodes. This is my first time watching it. That's awesome. I think I remember you showing me that stack. Yeah, like I have and, a full and I and I have demons too, so now I have to check yeah, that out. I I'm halfway through demons too. Oh, it's well it's so explain you know what the, the the sequel I was trying to figure out what the sequel thing was with this movie because it's very confusing, right? Like Demons 2 from what I understand, came out a year after Demons 1. But it also features some of the same actors playing different characters, like American Horror Story style. In some countries, this I learned on YouTube last night, in some countries, Demons Demons 1 did not come out. But it was so successful internationally in other countries that Demons 2 did come out in those countries, like Germany. But they released it as just Demons. So then when that was well-received, Demons 1 was released in those countries as Demons 2. Now, that's just the start of this mess. Two separate movies were released as Demons 3. Uh, both were like either like connected to Bava and Argento, and they both got the Demons 3 label. And then there's like Demons 4, 5, 6, 7, and none of those movies have anything to do with the first two. That's crazy. I honestly had no idea about that. I only knew about Demons 1 and 2. That's crazy. Like Demon, I think there's like a Demon 7 out there. <laughs> so it kind That's of turned wild. into like the howling. It just went like insane with sequels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, this one seems like a like the the idea, the concept, even if it is like not fully understandable because it's so kooky. It's so weird. Like I don't fully understand how any ask, of this happens. I was going to ask about that. Like I, I didn't fully get it, but am I not supposed to fully get it? It's Italian horror. You're yeah. supposed to be confused. Okay, I, I had like a great time. I was just like, maybe I missed something. <laughs> well, that's the thing is it gets to a point where it's like there's a guy driving around on a motorcycle chopping off demon heads and you kind of forgive it everything else because that's there. Right. And that's so yeah. awesome. But like there's not like the entire the, the thing that I that baffled me on a rewatch was that the whole time people are walking around like, why is this happening? What's causing this? What's going on? It's the movie. It's the scratches. It's that they're all theorizing about what's happening. And we never get the answer. Like, nope. it never comes. <laughs> and I'm kind of okay with that in some ways, especially in a kooky movie like this. Because, like, it is just, I think, at, the core, at its core, Demons is all about just a visceral, practical effects, heavy driven, like, gore driven movie that is a ton of fun. Like, I fucking love this movie, and it's been a while since I've seen it, uh, so it was so nice revisiting it, and it made me want to watch Demons 2 right afterwards. But, yeah, I guess I didn't even piece that together, how there's so many returning actors. Like, we have, what's his name? Uh, the guy who plays Tony? And, uh, and comes back as a personal trainer. Yeah. <laughs> Him to exactly. personal trainer is an amazing glow-up. So was, <laughs> was he actually, like... Was he a pimp or was he just like a straight up player? I think he was a pimp. I mean, maybe maybe that's more of a reflection on us that we assume that those were sex workers. Maybe. Yeah. 
maybe they just were there for well, no 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 the the one guy did say that that they were prostitutes oh he does okay okay good yeah. better I missed it. yeah i can't imagine how the dubbing was on your experience as well like the dubbing is just so that it's strange when you're not high <laughs> so i can only imagine but, I think uh, stranger when you're not high because when you're high you kind of just like it sort of washes over you but then like, oh i'm high so that's probably what it is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but when you're sober you're like oh no this no, is it's just weird yeah that's just italian italian horror movies and um but this thing it had to have also had an influence on scream 2 you guys know what i'm talking about like the opening of scream 2 oh with yeah Jada pinkett like yeah. i never thought i never thought of that but they're always referencing uh, different horror movies and in Scream and everything, so like it would make total sense that they pulled from Demons for that intro because I can't think of another movie that kind of that did this, like where it was set in a movie theater, where you know at the time at least where things are crawling out of the screen, and um, I just think that's really interesting. But yeah, this movie is wild. Um, <laughs> the guy it's... with the heavy, the guy with the metal face invites you to a movie. What do you do? <laughs> like, that the just such a strange opening because I think about it, I'm like you know what I probably would go to that movie. Yeah, this, this movie starts like it goes zero to hundred so fast, and no one asks question asks questions, so neither do you. Like as an audience, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're just so long like, for the ride. Yeah, like I got a ticket to the Willy Wonka movie too, and then yeah. <laughs> Man, you think about like the amount of sexual harassment that women have to deal with on a daily basis. But let's talk about this movie where the the hero of the movie just like think about that. Two women are just sitting down to watch a movie. There's all these open seats, and then those two guys just sit directly beside them. Oh yeah, and guy so, number two there with the sweater around his. I was gonna say yeah, the sweater drapage. Like oh, that guy had roofies in his pocket for sure. Absolutely, he totally did. And like, uh, I uh, forgive me for butchering all of these names, but Paulo Cozo, uh, who plays, I got to pull up what what her character is. She's she's Kathy, so she's her friend at the at the movie. Is that not an '80s Megan Fox? She looks just oh, like Megan yeah. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's the one who has the the nonsensical demon that climbs out of her back. Yes, that's such a great scene. So nothing in the movie is established that demons climb out of backs, but she's special. Um, but we don't question it because it's so fucking badass and that effect. Exactly. Amazing. Yeah. Like that when I was a kid, I remember that movie being on the shelf at video stores when I was a kid, like pre-Blockbuster, because I'm that old, there would be like a horror section would be one shelf of the video store. And like this poster that I have where they're kind of, it's that iconic image of them climbing up the stairs and their eyes are glowing. That's not the one that they released in Canada. It was a VHS tape with the with a just a close-up of the demon that climbs out of her back. And it like messed with me as a kid. It was too much. I need to look this up right now because that's what I because I do remember I never saw that that poster like the one that you have the the one that everyone probably knows that definitely wasn't in any of our video stores so I gotta look up the Canadian Demons poster. Yeah, I really. Um, I was gonna say I really appreciated like this stylistic POV with the killer holding the knife. That's something I want to see more of again. Do you know what I mean? That is such. It was such a classic, and I, I just liked that they had that within the movie. And then you're trying to figure out where it's happening in real time. There's so much weird stuff that goes on with this editing, though. Like, 
you know that first scene where uh, Rosemary, the the she's the first sex worker that uh, kind of turns. You look here. Let, let me just uh, say that she the Rick James. Rick James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Rick James. Female Rick James. Um, she teleports all over this movie in the editing. And, and this is what I mean about like where it's like technically it's a flaw, right? That like, we don't see her moving from point A to point B. She just kind of teleports there. edit. But there's something terrifying about how inconsistent it is because you don't know where she's going to pop up. Yeah, so true. That's you. You notice all those like little flaws in this movie, like everywhere, and even I don't know when you get to demons too. Like the, it's so weird how the the makeup effects drastically dropped in demons too. Like they still look fun, but they don't look as good as this. Like I think the I think the makeup effects in this movie look awesome, but they're at the same time they're shoddy. Like it's just it's very punk rock, just such a punk rock movie. There yeah. is something very punk rock about this movie. Also, how it just starts out is kind of. This this small contained idea of being in that movie theater, and then like Nico had said, like uh, Nicholas had said, there is by the end you have a guy with like a samurai sword on a motorcycle, and in a movie theater still. That's the shit I do like, <laughs> and that's like there's so many like after watching having Dawn of the Dead, like Romero's original version being semi recent in my memory. Uh, there's so many different comparisons to or correlations between demons and Dawn of the Dead. Like even one of my favorite things in special effects that Dawn of the Dead did is when the guy's getting his head ripped off and his vocal cords are like straining and they're making like distorted sounds. And that happens in demons like a couple times. I just thought that was so cool. But the whole the whole movie just kind of feels like a it kind of feels like it's a compliment to Dawn of the Dead because the the guy on the motorcycle cutting people up with a samurai sword. Like, I just I don't know how you could watch this movie and not be just thoroughly entertained and entertained. Well, on that, can we talk about the random helicopter that falls through the roof of the theater? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's like a vi- it's video it's... game logic. It's just like <laughs> there's your thing here. You've achieved. Or it was like Dawn of the Dead had a helicopter. Let's throw a helicopter in the theater. <laughs> It just seemed like I mean, they're throwing all the ideas at the screen. If you backtrack, like, you can justify it. So I would say, I, in, in defense of demons, right? Like, we have a demon that escapes when the punk rock drug addicts kind of make their way in. There's, like, someone gets out, right? And so there's, like, a moment of infection, right? So we've been, we concentrate on everything going to shit inside the theater, everything's going to shit outside, right? The world is kind of ending uh, outside the theater and then a helicopter ends up having to land on the roof of the theater that isn't built for a helicopter. Like it's not a helicopter landing pad and it crashes through. But we don't know any of that that's going on outside. So it's just these people are never getting out of here. And also, like, if if the doors can turn into a cement wall and they can't get out... Then, then what's happening to the roof? And why does outside logic work for helicopters on roofs? It just doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, helicopters surpass all forms of logic. They are their <laughs> own sentient thing. They can do what they want. I mean, I love it. And and the grappling hook that was conveniently placed inside <laughs> the theater or inside the the helicopter, I think, is you know, I'm grateful for it. Um, but it doesn't make. What sense. about the motorcycle? <laughs> Conveniently placed motorcycle in the theater. Well, that as well. was a like, display. Like exactly, I can, I can at but least that's give a, that. A, but also, like, the, like 
I'm an idiot for being like, well, why were the keys in the in the motorcycle in the theater? Because like we're watching demons. Shut the hell up, Mitch. Just enjoy, enjoy it. Or a razor sharp samurai sword where any idiot can like slice themselves up on it yeah. in a in a in a standy kind of display in the theater. It just it's very dangerous. I don't know if I would recommend that. Um, no. But uh, but that's the thing is that it's just, it's so much fun. It doesn't give you time to care about logic yeah. because it's showing you things that you've never seen before and like in many cases never see again like lots of movies have not tried to repeat what was successful about demons in the True. 30 years afterwards yeah yeah like i love i love the scene where they're they're listening to the screaming on the on the screen they're all like trying to get out the door and they're hearing all this screaming and they're like that's not coming from the movie that's behind the screen and then someone bursts through the screen i'm like fuck yeah like that it's just it's ingenious i think a lot of this it's kind of crazy that uh it's crazy that we haven't seen more horror movies set in theaters. Yeah. It's a great location for it. Well, did you guys see porno this year? On I did, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. saw porno. I think it was the first one I saw set in a movie theater. Uh, yeah. Since then, that kind of had the same sort of feeling. Um, you know, obviously very different. It was more of like a horror, like a, a, a deliberate horror comedy. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I felt like porno I, was the first one I had seen that had kind of attempted that. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't put those two and two together because I, I watched porno recently. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely similarities between that. And I guess same with uh, The Final Girls. The Final Girls plays oh, on yeah. this a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just such a it's a, just such a cool idea. Um, but it's also like it kind of shows you that you don't need to have a fully fleshed out idea to have a crazy fun movie. You just need like a lot of body horror. Yeah, I, and a lot like, of cocaine. I can say that the cocaine in the Coke bottle. I have to say that out of all the bottle horror or body horror stuff, the the pulling your teeth out or like getting them shoved out, that one really bugged me. I don't know. It, oh yeah, because they also they linger on it. Like the camera's just focusing just keep, yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh god, it's such a gross effect. So I, I shot a uh, my my second feature film was an attempt at a feature length adaptation of that Little Mermaid short film that you were talking about earlier, and it was originally made as The Little Mermaid. It was changed to Charlotte Song. It was called Mermaid Song. And it's been re-edited, but there's a transformation sequence where this little girl is becoming a mermaid, and we built a rig and pretty much shot from the same angle of her fingernails kind of pushing out her human fingernails. Um, and uh, that was very much pulled from this movie. From Demons? That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, and it's a weird effect because it's like, it doesn't look right, you know? It's like, you, but it, it's it's just, fingernails are such an awful thing to see ripped out that uh, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit choppy because it's just, nobody wants to see that. So you they're, have, Yeah, they're squinting anyways. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, fingernails and teeth and elbows like those are just straight up ways to get under anyone's skin yeah and eyes so okay so speaking of eyes can we talk about the like, if i not that i'm i don't know so we've got this blind guy at the movie theater right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's brought his wife i think I I made it sound like it was just his handler. I don't know. It was like <laughs> that's a joke that never pays off, and I think that's the funniest part about it. Well, yeah, and it like, and I, I think it was supposed to be a a really 
uh, insensitive joke. But here's the, here's my thing is that if so the poor guy, right? So he's already blind. He gets his eyes gouged out by Rick James. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's just it just hurts. Wouldn't it have been more like nihilistic for her to take away his hearing, right? To like yeah. rip out his ears. To a Freddy's or Fred, uh, Freddy's dead. There's yeah. a yeah. Ear so now he's just wandering around. He's essentially the same, magically with some demon knowledge, right? Because he there's the, he has that exposition moment, um, but he's just you know bleeding from the eyes now, which he's fine with, right? Because he can still make his way around. It's just a weird. <laughs> it's a weird choice. It is. A weird you're, you're like leave his eyes alone. He's had enough trauma. Let's focus somewhere else. <laughs> well, it's, it's not. But. It, Yes, it's just it's just mean because it's not even the worst thing that you can do to him. It's almost like it's kind of taunting that character, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just I don't know. It's it's a it's a strange choice that I it is I question. Yeah, at least do some yeah something different with it. I, I was looking in the IMDb trivia. It says the blind man going to the cinema was meant as an ironic joke. Hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's so wild. And same with uh, the whole idea behind the mask. I have no idea because that is that's how they're escaping, is it not? Do we have any idea they, how they, these no, demons they are? Curse, they curse the person if they if they get cut and the mask is there. I yeah. think the mask. If you just if you just put it on and don't get cut, I think the world is okay. It would have been an okay. It just would have been a bad movie that they went to. Yeah, so you yeah. gotta make sure like you're not low on iron or anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know, but I will say another. Um, just going back to my whole, uh, you know, LSD experience with this movie, the mirror mask was one of the things that did kind of mess me up the most because it felt like it was crawling all over his face, mm-hmm. right? And I think what a cool effect. Why hasn't anybody ever? re you know, like tried the, the mirror mask thing i mean it's a little phantom of the opera but like the effect of having that metallic thing that's reflecting the light like that has a really effective uh effect yeah it was really like it looks really cool and it was creepy as hell i actually thought of you on lsd when i watched that scene because <laughs> i was like fuck me like this would be horrible <laughs> I just want to say that also I was not expecting as wild of a soundtrack because it, it does start out with kind of a weird Halloweeny bop that you know acclimates you, and then all of a sudden you just get like Motley Crue and shit, which I yeah. was not expecting. But that's what that's part of the fun. <laughs> just I all wonder over the place. how much of this was approved too. Like there's Billy Idol in the soundtrack. Yeah, totally. It, there's a couple like it is songs in there. <laughs> Were the rules like a little bit more lax back then, or maybe it was just that like, I don't know, I don't know. But I, the only reason I bring this up is because the the you know them snorting coke out of a Coca Cola can that is clearly in the frame in a close up as Coca Cola. Did the Coke company approve this? Because that seems <laughs> is Coke aware of demons? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah, like. Uh... This is in the, the spoiler section of the trivia, but it says the scene where the cocaine is dropped inside the car and where the characters are picking it back up has been quite a subject of controversy, which led to the scene being censored almost all, all over the world. Hmm. So we must have different versions of that because I definitely had that scene. I did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just wild. Also, yeah, like I'd, a, like, I'd just like to say that the uh, what a harsh ending. 
Do you, do you know that you, you think that you're kind of getting uh, not a happy ending, but somewhat of a happier ending, and then it just completely gives you like one, one final fuck you. Very yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, because they get out, and then it's not. So, okay, so again, back to the logic, okay? Cher- Cheryl is her name, right? Is that her yeah. name? Yeah. She, as far as we know, doesn't even get scratched by these things. Like, there was the moment in the helicopter where she's climbing up and something grabs her leg. We never see a scratch. But her dude that she's climbing up with, he did get scratched. Yeah, his arm is mangled. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever. Yeah. So I'm just, yeah, it's, but I don't, but at the same time, it's like all this said, you know, I think that the nonsensicalness, if that's a word, of all of this is like part mm-hmm. of what makes everything about it so unsettling. Like right. the lack of rules. There's no true rules to anything that's happening. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's it's it 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 ends up as a very kind of uh, just you know unpredictable experience, which yeah. I think is why it's so successful. That and all the pus. That's the other thing is that like you know because I think body horror we can handle blood didn't look great back then um, they hadn't perfected it so much but the green pus there's something about that that is so upsetting to watch even today um, and I, again I don't see a lot of filmmakers going back and playing with pus in body horror the way they did in this movie yeah no kidding maybe you can bring back like a big pus renaissance now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing back the pus. <laughs> maybe not on a made-for-TV. Maybe maybe not with Hallmark. I won't. I'll uh, I'll wait for an independent to uh, yeah introduce the pus. <laughs> and yeah, there there had to have been some kind of way that like because the film was like you said it was filmed in Berlin, correct? Yeah. So yeah. So I don't. There there might have been a way for them to get away, get around having both Rick Springfield and Motley Crue and Billy Idol in this, because that's that's like an expensive movie to yeah. have to have all those titles in there. Well, I um, think the budget of this movie was like a couple million, but it wasn't a huge budget. Yeah, no. Just seems just seems so weird. That's something that you never see. But that's the thing about Italian horror movies, in my experience, is they're always they always have like a very nihilistic tone to them. And they're they're like at least in comparison to American films or Canadian films, like North American, uh, it just feels like it's just way more it's way darker and more uh, uh, what's the word? It's just they're they're just dark. They're painful to watch. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of I appreciate that. That's something that I've always been attracted to. So I think Italian horror, like I've only seen a handful of them, but I think I need to be going through and uh, brushing up on my Italian horror because this was just so much fun to watch. So mm-hmm. much so that I started Demons 2 right afterwards. So and it, Demons 2 is still fun, it's still goofy and fun, but Demons is just something else. So I love Demons 2 as well. I think yeah. I think we should do another episode on Demons 2 down the road because. There's there's enough to talk about with that movie and the choices between episodes. Like I don't know, it's it's a crazy uh, yeah. The but the thing that that messes me up is just like why the there's characters that come back in Demons Two as different characters like Tony the Disco Pimp, but 
it's never addressed and there's only like a couple of them like it's not and it's like the random punk dude is in it the guy who's driving the car with a weird nose like he comes back um it's just it's the sequels fell into different rules back then i think i don't know it's it's yeah they they signed the the two movie retainer on that one (laughs) hundred percent well, yeah. looking at the poster of De- uh, Demoni 3, which is Black Demons. Have you seen this one, Nick? I have not. But there's Black two Demons, Demons 3. Because I think oh, right. I think the Ogre was also released as Demons 3. But they all were they were all just movies that were kind of made by I think either Argento or Bava and then released internationally under the Demons name so people would go and see it when they had nothing to do with demons one and two yeah that makes total sense i'm currently reading have you have you read saves the cat yes yeah i'm currently reading that right now and that's one of the things that they talk about in that is like the name recognition and how how like that's why we saw so many sequels in the in the 80s and the 90s is because people just you you need back in the day you walk into a movie theater you have no idea what you're going to see chances are someone's going to want to go with something that they're familiar with. Yeah. So, it, but it is wild that this is the, this is the vein they decided to tap into. I guess it, it means that demons must've been fairly successful. Yeah. I, uh, Nate, the way the distributors release films is such a mystery to me because like even today, um, you know, I really, uh, my second feature has been released under so many different titles and nobody like I'm, not that I, I, you know, like I, I know I understand the hierarchy of, you know, filmmaking and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, the director kind of their job is done. But I will find out that a movie that I've directed has been released under a different title because of a Google alert that I've set up. Like nobody tells me that now the movie that I spent a month of my life working on is called something else. It's very bizarre. So that I wonder strange. if like Argento even even like had any say in what was being called demons three and demons four, because you know, not necessarily like he may not, it just was like, okay, we can capitalize on this. Now it's demons three. Right. And he has to live with that. The the fact that here we are 20, 30 years later laughing at how ridiculous that is uh, and that his name's attached to, he may not have had any choice in the matter. No kidding. Well, that yeah, and you see, you still see that shit happen all the time. Like you, most recently, the Cloverfield paradox. Yeah. That was one that was wasn't supposed to be a Cloverfield movie, and then they just like roped it in last yeah. minute. And you can tell, like you can yeah. tell that that's not a part of that universe. And uh, it's crazy that those decisions are still made. But I guess people just don't care. They just want to make some money. So. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I mean, film in the end is a business, right? Like, and it's this, and it, the paradox is that it's like it's an art form and it's a business. So it's like, and the, the, the tricky thing with that is that like art is always going to be personal, right? Like the people that worked on that, that put their heart and soul into it and their creativity are always going to have a personal connection to what it is. But in the end, they have to hand it off and just allow for the fact that any choices made beyond your contribution are going to be made based on what's going to make money. And it's a, you know, it takes an understanding of that and also like a pretty tough, like a thick skin to weather that because you have no choice over, you know, how these things are going to be introduced to the world. And that's, 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 
exactly. Yeah, and you can't. It's not like you can go out and speak your mind about it and how that's not what you wanted because then you're not going to get hired again. <laughs> exactly. They don't have yeah. to defend it and be yeah. like, "That was part of my plan the entire time." Yeah. <laughs> Stand in front of the theater at the end of a film festival screening and go like, "Yep, I made these choices." <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you have to you have to learn how to act uh, as well as you know whatever your craft is, directing, writing, etc. Yeah. Makes sense. So, Boozy, would you recommend people check out Demons? I 100% think so. I, I, I uh, not to give it like super strong comparisons to it, but like if, if you like something like Evil Dead, I think you're definitely going to love this. Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good. It goes hand in hand with Evil Dead. It'd be a great double feature. The Ridge or the second one, I guess. Or the second one, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was a great pick and this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Nick. Hi. Well, thank you, Nick. Yes. You know what? It's it's so much fun for me to be back here because when I first came on, you know, it was because I had a conversation with Jason Hamill in a coffee shop the day I left, the day before I left for Saskatoon. And he was like, oh, these losers have a podcast. And <laughs> he set it up. And you guys were, like, awesome enough to set it up at a moment's notice. And we hung out. And I fell in love with both of you guys. And then over the last couple of years, I've become just a fan of this podcast like i have a list of podcasts that i listen to uh and terror table is one of my favorites it's the only horror movie podcast i listen to so getting to come back and just talk about a fucking movie with you guys has been such a treat so thank you for having me back oh yeah of course and we're gonna do it we're gonna do plenty more times to come you're gonna be you're gonna be on here much more and sooner than two years from now (laughs) yeah listen demons too yeah, yeah, hell yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Terror Table. And Nick, is there somewhere that our listeners can follow you on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere that you want to promote? I'm on everything. I don't use Facebook very much, but I'm on Instagram at I think it's Nicholas Humphreys. Twitter is also Nicholas Humphreys. I also have a website, which is nicholashumphreys.ca. And there is a link to my demo reel on there and uh, a bunch of other kind of treats so um yeah those are those are my things awesome cool well, we'll link that in the show notes as well so if you guys are driving or something and you couldn't couldn't write it down we'll we'll have it in the show notes so check that awesome well thanks again nick and we will see you all next time on the terror table <laughs>